I got the reading during the week and I did some research. This is the longest in-church Bible reading in the history of Christendom. <laughs> it's in 16-point font. It goes on and on and on. Um, it's in the New Living Translation. I'm glad it wasn't amplified, um, which I timed via an algorithm you can find on the net. Uh, 17 hours. Yeah, so... Here we... Oh, gosh. Okay, bear with me. It is a long one, but it's a good one. As I was saying um, to Paul before, we don't usually use the, the New Living Translation, but the great thing about some translations is, is that they bring out something different to an NIV or to an Amplified or New, New American Standard and so on. Who here uses the NLT? Oh, no one. Great. Oh. One? Oh, do you? Oh, you use it too? Annette, did you approve this? Okay, that's good. All right, from John chapter 9, from the NLT, um, the heading is, Jesus heals a man born blind. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of... Now, according to the internet, there's many different ways to pronounce this. I'm going to go with Salome. Is that okay? Oh, hang on. Uh, excuse me, Bishop. Do, you, do we have the approval? Oh, good. Salome. Fantastic. We've got to check. It's a new guy. Okay. So the man went and washed and came back soon. His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind, blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now? I don't know. It's going good supper, isn't it? <laughs> then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it. So he told them, he put mud over my eyes and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how can an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he is old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, 
God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, but now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> then they cursed him and said, you are his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshipped Jesus. Last page, people. Can I have an amen? Amen. Um, then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, James, thank you very much. I, I struggled whether I should actually shorten that reading down, but as, as I was thinking about it and I was praying over it, I went, it actually needs to come in in its entirety. Um, we, I didn't want to chop bits out, so you had the whole bit today. Okay, not a problem. I'll pray harder. Next week's another long reading. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let's just pray together. Gracious, loving God, we just give you thanks that we can come and meet together. We give you thanks that we have your word here. Lord, open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. And may your Holy Spirit be upon me today as I bring your message today here. I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, it is, it is wonderful and a privilege to be here today, to bring a message to you here at Pittwater Uniting Church. The first message that I give here, but also the first message in what is a, a short two-week series that I'm calling Going Beyond the Normal. Uh, in this series, I, what I would like to do is explore how we approach Easter, and yes, Easter is almost upon us. Um, how we go beyond the routine of what our everyday life is like and, and how we go and prepare for Easter. How we move beyond our normal life and have something special that God gives us. I want to say this. Last week I had my first hot cross bun of the year. <laughs> Nothing special. It was just a Woolworths hot cross bun. It had fruit to put that there, but it had no glaze on the top. Have you had those ones, you know, that, where they're kind of like, it's much better with glaze on top, you know, let me, let me say that, but it, it brought a dilemma towards me. 
And I, I want to ask you, the church here, this dilemma. When is the appropriate time to have a hot cross bun? <laughs> you know, show of hands for me, show of hands. So, just after Christmas, when they first appear in the shelves, there we go. We've got, we've got those people that just love hot cross buns, you know. Uh, although, you know, the chocolate hot cross buns don't make it out just then. It's just the routine ones, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe you're a little bit more traditional and it, it, you, it's okay to have a hot cross bun when Lent starts. Anybody like that that needs to be into that period of preparing for Easter? You know, Lent, the, 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 the time before um, Easter happens, the, the 40 weekdays and six Sundays before Easter, just, just in case you didn't know what Lent was and how we count in the church. Or, or, or maybe you're a person that thinks that hot cross buns are only for those special occasions, maybe Holy Week. What about all year? Well, hey, just, just wait for that. Just, maybe you're in the camp where it, you, don't, you just don't care and you can eat a hot cross bun any time you like. And Rick's, Rick's in that camp. Anybody, anybody with Rick on that camp? You know, there's, a, there's a few people there. So... Hey, I gather for all of those people that didn't put your hands up and you don't like hot cross buns at all, just, just putting it there. No, you know, preparing for Easter is one of these things. And I don't know about whether you, whether you prepare for Easter at all, whether there's anything that you do in your life that helps you get yourself ready for, for the most life-changing, earth-shattering occurrence in the world of what Jesus did for us. I don't know whether you prepare yourself for that. Notice that I didn't go into any of the controversial things of whether, whether you're meant to eat fish on Good Friday or not on Good Friday, or whether you can eat something else on there, or, or whether you have Easter eggs or chocolate Easter eggs, any of those things to even prepare for Easter for. How many people, by the way, have bought Easter eggs and preparing for Easter to give Easter eggs out? Yeah, look, there's some people up the back. That's good. That's good. You know, we, we prepare in many different ways. But the reason we prepare is because we have an expectation that something's going to happen. So we can kind of see how our expectations um, push us and shape us and form us. I want to actually explore this concept for us that, that somehow some of our expectations can blind us to seeing God's power working through Jesus in our lives. And what I want to do is explore this through John chapter 9 and all of it. And I was thinking about shortening it down, but there are various different pieces that I want to explore through that whole chapter. And as a part of this, as I go on and explore this, what is I want us to also think about what are some of the expectations that we have in our normal, everyday life that blind us to God's power working within us. So, if you've got your Bibles, um, either one of, one of these physical ones, or if, you, if you've got an electronic one on your phone or something, I want you to get out your Bible for me because I want you to follow along with me because we're going to jump into John chapter 9. And I, I was, you know, moving to a new church, you've got to learn all these new different procedures and processes that happen. And so learning the new tech that's here, which is different to where I've come from previously, and the way of doing things. So we're going to jump into John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. So I want you to just have a look at the first three verses. But I'm going to put up, um, there's an expectation here 
within this passage, there's an expectation that if you happen to be, you know, somehow disabled, physically challenged, illness, that there is an expectation that there is punishment for sin. So keep that in mind as we read this, and let me just share it back with you. As Jesus was walking along, he's walking along, he saw a man who had been blind by birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him. So his, the, the disciples are actually going, you know, teacher, help me understand what I'm seeing here. Help me with, and they've got an expectation and a process that they've gone in their life and they've understood. Help me to see this. Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So their expectation is that for some reason this person, by being blind, somebody had sinned to cause that. Their expectation was that there is a punishment for sin and that has played out in this person's life in blindness. Jesus then goes on and says, you know, it's not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that what the power of God could be seen in him. So Jesus kind of breaks this down. So it was normal in this time period where Jesus is to think that, that some kind of illness or disability was actually punishment by God. Now, and I, I kind of hate to say this, this still happens today. We, we still think this today. Not quite so black and white as such. But we still have it kind of embedded in our thinking. And it creeps in. Let, let, let me give this. There's like an expectation in our life that, you know, if our life is not perfect, if it is um, somehow not as great as we expect it to be, then somehow God is not with us. If something's going wrong, you become unwell or something bad happens in your life, then often we ask this question, what did I do to deserve this? Have you ever asked that question when something's gone wrong? Because that's starting to creep into that expectation that somehow there's a punishment for things that have gone there. What sin must I have done to cause this to happen? See, Jesus here breaks down that expectation. Jesus breaks this expectation about punishment and saying it's not about sin, but it's about the power of God working. Working through Jesus here, the power of God working in people's lives. So I want you to reflect just in this moment on this question. Have we placed an expectation upon our life that is restricting the power of God moving within us? Have we thinking and behaviour has restricted God's power? Because we want to break that. We want God to move powerfully in your life and we will pray for that later. So the second expectation is this. That healings happen in a particular way. So in your Bibles, we're going to jump to John chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to move along. So the first expectation we had was Jesus pushes against it. He says, it's actually not about a sin in the person's life. It is actually about God's power. 
The second expectation here is that is Jesus is actually working for the benefit of others. He's actually going to lean into this expectation so people can see that God's power is at work and happening right here. So, so we're going to jump into John chapter 9, verse 6. And it says this. And it's very visual. I love this. And then he spit on the ground. Can you kind of think about this for a moment? And I remember doing some preaching, you know, in these kind of things. It's dry, it's dusty, it's hot. And you know when you're dry, dusty and hot and you've been walking around and having talking, your mouth gets dry? Have you ever tried to spit when your mouth's dry? I can kind of see Jesus go on the ground, you know. It's a bit gross, isn't it? Think about it. It's really visceral and gross. And he's spitting on the ground and, and, and mixing it and making mud. He then spat on the ground, made mud with saliva, and, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He's, 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 got it, he's, he's mixed it up and he's pushing it into the eyes and mixing it around. And then he told him, now go and wash yourself. I've made you dirty. Go and wash yourself. Go and wash yourself in the pool of saliva. Which means sin. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Amazing. Amazing. See, see the thing is, in that time where, where this is happening, and this is happening in, in Jerusalem, and there are two main groups of people in Jerusalem there. You've got the Romans and you've got the Jewish people there, and you've got the rabbis of the Jews there. And, and it was actually considered by the rabbis and the Romans that saliva was actually a good medicinal um, material. Spit was good. Healing properties of spit. We won't talk about the cleaning properties of mother's spit at all, but, you know, that happens. Anybody that's had kids, you know, what that's like. But have you ever been bitten by something, you know, an insect or something like that, and you, it's kind of itchy? And Have you ever gone and, you know, put a bit of spit on it and just put that there and it kind of soothes it for a while? It's that kind of thinking that they've got there that this spit and also making a poultice of spit and mud was healing. Now, I'm not sure whether they'll cut the mustard today in you know, our, our medical system, whether that's okay, but it was considered a good treatment. We know that um, Jesus could have healed without having to spit on the ground or make mud or, or do any of that. We know that Jesus has got the power and he does it. He heals in many different places and heals with the power of God. He says, your, your, your faith has made you hell. Get up and walk, you know. Jesus can just say it and it happens. But he, here, he actually does something physical. And he does it in a way that those who are around and the man himself will understand. He does it in a way that is seen and expected for healing. So he pushes into this expectation so that People can understand what is happening. Part of me also thinks, I think that Jesus pushed into that and did that because it will also annoy the religious leaders because he's, he's doing it on the Sabbath. He's doing it on the Sabbath. One other little interesting point for you. Is it could have just been putting this on and washing it off, but he, he sends the man to a very specific within Jerusalem, Salome. And this pool is kind of considered sacred. It's, it's special. It's the waters from that pool they would use within the temple for their ceremonies. So it has this special place and property within religious society there. 
And they think that the Spirit of God moves them. And so Jesus tells them, goes, wash them. And when he's washed, he's healed. The blindness is lifted. I want to ask you, pushing back into our, our life here, not, to take, not leaving it just back in biblical times, but pulling it into our life and our expectations and things. Have we limited ourselves to only seeing God work in a particular way? Have we put an expectation that God only does this? We see in the Bible that God works in many different ways. Maybe we're looking for the miraculous, but God is, is using the expected ways to do something to work amazingly in your life. I know I've, I've, I've at times sat with people and they've been wanting the big miraculous sign and yet God has been working in their life through the normal processes of what goes on in society and with people working with them and helping them. And it's only at the times when you stop and you pause and you go, are you just looking for the big sign as opposed to the one that is working on you, with you daily? So have we limited ourselves because of the expectation we see of God working? God does amazing things and will change and challenge our lives if we're willing to move beyond that expectation. So our third expectation, there's going to be four of them. I'm going to break the whole mould of three things. There's going to be four. The third expectation is from John chapter 9, verse 8. I haven't gone too far here. So. But it's the expectation that people don't change. Now, I, I don't know about you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, that, you know, and actually had the thing that, you know, hey, I knew them when they were young and I still think like that they are the same person then. They're not going to change. You know, they're going to be the same all the way through. We, we have this expectation people don't change. And these next two expectations we're going to look at actually are expectation all from the outside observer's point of view. So it's not from Jesus. It's not from the disciples. It's, it's, it's not from the blind man, but it's from the outside perspective. They're going, well, things won't change. People don't change. So John chapter 8, or chapter 9, sorry, verse 8, um, and, it, and it starts here. And I think it's really strange. James, I love how you, it's like reading this, and I go, his neighbours, so people who grew up with him, so here it is, this is the blind man's neighbours, his neighbours, and others who were with him, as the blind beggar. So the others who were with him are those people who'd been sitting around and had seen him just that day begging and blind, who'd been with him all that time. So these are people that are not unknown to the person. They know who he is. So his neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar each asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? They're going, hang on, he must be somebody else. He can't change. He's blind. How can he get up and see? You know, it's like people don't change. And nothing as big as this. I love it. They just, they just say, no, he just looks like him. You know, hey, how else can I explain it? You know, it just looks like him, not him. But the beggar, the beggar keeps saying, yes, I am the same one. 
it's me. Come on, guys, it's me. I haven't changed. You know, I'm the same person. I can just see. Something amazing has happened in my life. I can see. You know, the expectation that his neighbours, those who were with him, and, and let me say this, those who were with him, who knew the person, they were probably waiting for healing and wholeness. They were probably begging as well. They're wanting something to happen. They weren't expecting anything to change. How could something like this happen? So how often ourselves have we been blind to the changes in people's lives that Jesus has made? One of the biggest things that we should be doing is celebrating when people say yes to Jesus rather than thinking, oh, that person won't change or possibly couldn't. And one of the biggest things for us if we were thinking about reaching out with the gospel to, to the community around us is that people change when they encounter God, when they encounter the life-giving hope in Jesus Christ. People change. And if we have an expectation that they won't change, then why should we go out and bring the gospel to them? God does amazing things and changes us. We need to break that expectation that people will never change when they encounter God. We see it powerfully here and we see it powerfully when we bring the gospel message to those in our community, in our neighbourhood, with our friends, our family. The fourth point, the fourth expectation is this. And this is kind of from the Pharisee's point of view, but often we kind of think in the same way sometimes. The fourth expectation is God doesn't do it like this. God doesn't do it that way. So John chapter 9 verse 13, we're going to move into here. So verse 13 through to 16. So then they took the man, so you know, he's, he's been healed, healed and then they and, and one of the reasons why they take the man to the religious leaders is that they can confirm the miracle has happened. You know the laws about um, leprosy and um, that when you are healed from leprosy, that one of the things you have to do is go and show the priest to, see, to know that you are healed um, and, and, and that's so that you can enter back into community. It's the same kind of thing. You're going over here to show the religious leaders that something amazing has happened and give thanks to God in this process. So here we go. We're coming back into here. So they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath. And they were, they were upset because one of the things that Jesus had done was heal on the Sabbath. It was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He put mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were in a, there was a deep division of opinion among them. So we've got these religious leaders of the day refusing to see that God can do an amazing, life-changing miracle healing here, that Jesus is the divine Son of God and heals, that heals on the Sabbath. They can't see it, they can't understand it, they can't comprehend it. 
The Pharisees here are upset with Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Not that they healed the person, but healed on the Sabbath. Not because it was a healing, but because he violated some of their strict rules of no work on the Sabbath. They had an expectation that if you were holy, if you were from God, then what would you do? You would follow the rules, wouldn't you? You'd follow the right way of doing stuff. See, the no work rule on the Sabbath was, was originally God's idea. God gave ten commandments, and the fifth was that you remember the Sabbath. The, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall do no, not do any work. So you've got Jesus actually doing work. Break, you know, he's not really breaking the Sabbath law by healing people. He's actually showing God's goodness and power in this situation. He's above and beyond our rules and regulations. The problems that the Pharisees had with Jesus' healing on the Sabbath had to do with their interpretation of what the Sabbath law was all about. See... One of the things that they did, the religious leaders over the time had done and said, how do you define what work is? How would, you, how would people define what work is today? Any, got any clues? Now, is, is, it, is, it, is it as much as flicking on the computer and booting up a computer screen so you can answer an email? Is that kind of work? Yeah. Yeah. Would it be something like lifting up this thing and putting it in my pocket and carrying it around? Would that be kind of... Oh, I'll stay in frame, Paul, sorry. <laughs> um, is that kind of like work? See, work was defined in so many different ways. They would define it as like... They would, let, me, let me rephrase this. If you're walking off to the synagogue and you happen to pick up some, some, a piece of wheat grass along the ground and mistakenly walk along with it, are you doing work? So they would define how many grains of wheat you would actually have to carry in order for it to be work and not work. So it's very defined around that. If you were you know, somebody who sewed, it would be mistakenly putting a thimble in your pocket and going and doing something, you would be working. So there were all these rules about how much you could and couldn't do. Let me say one of the great rules they had was that it was okay for midwives to go and help women in pregnancy on the Sabbath. And that wasn't considered work. Okay. Let me tell you, it is work. But, you know, eight days afterwards, let me, let me throw this one in, eight days afterwards, you're meant to actually do circumcision of the male child. That would be on the Sabbath as well. And that's a medical intervention kind of treatment, but they would rule that as not work. But if you did a similar surgery on, you know, similar kind of thing, that would be called work. So they had lots of rules and different definitions for different things. They were okay with helping people. 
We're just not okay with Jesus spitting on the ground and making mud. They considered that work. The other thing that they did was they refused that, to believe that this man had been blind. And so they questioned his parents. They couldn't believe that he was blind. They're kind of thinking, you're making it out. How could this happen? Because they thought that Jesus had just broken this Sabbath law about work. They couldn't see that God is loving and brings healing and restoration to the blind man. They couldn't see that Jesus was the, the divine son of God. And they threw the formerly blind man out of the synagogue. Instead of welcoming him back in and embracing him and going, isn't this amazing? They throw him out. Pretty much because he challenged them to say, Are you, do you want to be disciples of Jesus? Do you want to follow him? So, so John 9 verse 35. And I love, I love how Jesus kind of just steps into this moment and challenges us again today about how we, how we see God working in our lives. Jesus cares for this man who is blind and is being questioned and ridiculed and thrown out. And so we come into here. And when Jesus heard what had happened about being thrown out of the synagogue, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man. And the man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. So this is the, this is the word that Jesus uses for himself. The Son of Man. And then Jesus says, You have seen him, and he is speaking to you. In other words, I am the Son of Man. And the man then goes, Yes, Lord, I believe. And what did he do? His appropriate response was he worshipped. He came and worshipped Jesus as the one that gave him sight so that he could see God's power working in his life. That he wasn't blinded by this. And then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment. To those who will follow God and those who won't, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. See, this passage challenges me and it should challenge you. Have I created a set of rules that are not life-giving, that get in the way of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Saviour? Have we created things in our life? Have we created patterns of behaviour, things that we do, expectations that we need to see, a normal thing for ourselves that have said that we put Jesus in the corner or back away? Have I created things that have pushed Jesus out? Have we created expectations in our lives that make us blind to God's loving grace and work in people's lives today? See, this, this reading challenges me to ask myself if I have become spiritually blind. Am I seeing God's working in people's lives? 
Is God asking me to do something beyond the normal today?